0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
1: And welcome to AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for being with us here today on the program brought to you by our friends at Cenex and Cenex Premium Diesel's with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines great to have you along for the conversation today i'm your host jesse allen exciting show coming up we are going to talk markets in just a second with don rose from u.s commodities also coming up in segment two we're going to get a look at the latest global pork quarterly for quarter four with robobank's christine mccracken in segment three at the bottom of the hour the latest ag economy barometer is now available did farmer sentiment go up or down in october Dr. Jim Mintert with Purdue University heads up that Ag Economy Barometer. He's going to join us to discuss the latest numbers coming up here on today's program. And I'll have a look at news headlines uh, later in the show as well. So a lot to get to today here on AOA. First up, though, let's take a look at what's going on in the markets. We've seen soybeans continue their rally higher. we got some talk of soybean export sales to China, South American weather concerns, and more. Joining us now for market analysis, Don Rose with U.S. Commodities. Don, it's great to talk with you here on AOA. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Yeah, good morning, Jesse.
1: Appreciate you being on with us, Don. Let's talk first about this soybean market. And as I mentioned, uh, got some rumors of big Chinese purchases of U.S. beans. And it looks like we got some of those confirmed on Wednesday morning and then two, we got some of these South America weather concerns. It seems to me those are the two big drivers right now leading uh, the bean market, which is in turn helping lead corn and wheat higher. It looks like here midweek, Don.
0: Yeah, exactly, uh, Jesse. You hit some of the uh, big items, uh, you know, squarely. Um, and this whole thing is uh, goes back to the uh, dry drought that we had in Argentina, if you remember last year, and the largest soybean meal exporter in the world. So it's been the soybean meal here short term that's uh, rallied this market. We're in contract highs on the nearby soybean meal. That's really given some strength to the soybeans. But as you said, you know, it's inch by inch uh, going forward what happens. And it's an El Nino year, so we're in a dry, droughty pattern in uh, northern two-thirds of Brazil. Um, and it looks like the next 30 days off and on uh, dry, droughty conditions continue at some key times. And southern Brazil, just playing too wet. Um, you know, so issues down there. So Argentina is improving in, a, in a, a dry drought year, but not good enough here to overcome some of the issues, Jesse.
1: Well, Don, I know we have a WASDI report coming up on, on Thursday, that November report. Typically not a big market mover. We could see some changes, though, depending on what USDA throws our way. But I, I look at this current soybean rally that we've seen extended. You mentioned the meal kind of leading the way here. Uh, harvest, wrap it up. Have to think farmers are taking a look at uh, some selling and risk management here in this soy complex, specifically just as this market continues to move higher. And as always, uh, uncertainty ahead of a WASDI report.
0: Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. Uh, tomorrow at 11 o'clock Central Time, we have the WASDI report. And, you know, after the uh, last report in October, uh, we did take the yield down on soybeans about a half a bushel, took the corn down about eight-tenths of a bushel. So that was the catalyst to uh, tighten uh, up the uh, ending stocks a bit, push us higher, but uh, the, you know, we were up like 40-some cents after that report, so that's the fear. Uh, does a small crop get smaller? You know, we, when we went lower on the yield from August to September, September to October, history says you go lower again in the October to November. Um, I think the fear is that on soybeans, but, you know, there's a concern that maybe the corn yield could get bigger. That pushed us down yesterday to the summer lows, but we bounced, so uh, it's a it's going to be a, uh you know a market mover there's no doubt but then we're going to quickly Jesse be right back to looking at weather in South America going forward well
1: in this corn market you mentioned that we got down to those lows and uh, corn's just been a, a dog here as of late and i think a lot of that comes back to the fact that uh, you you hit it uh, we could see that corn crop get bigger we got a lot of corn here in the US don and I just feel like I keep seeing deja vu with this corn market hanging around this 475-480 range. It feels like we've been stuck there for the last 6 months or so.
0: Yeah, you know we have, Jesse, and I think part of the reason is we've kind of reached fair market value. And I think when you're uh, lugging around a 2.1 billion bushel carry out on corn, you know, it's uh you know it's hard to put uh lipstick on that pig, you know, and make it look any different. It's just one that is anchored and then you've got Russia continuing to sell wheat uh, below the world market values. They had uh, supposedly a big uh, wheat crop, a bumper crop is what they want to say. They're selling that for arms, so we'll see going forward. But, you know, the other thing, Jesse, when you look forward, I know we're talking weather and bullish, but the government came out with those uh, long-term projections uh, yesterday, those uh, 10-year projections. And they have the uh, carryout this year, one, of course, but then they go $2.6 billion, and they ramp it up going forward every year up a little bit until you get over 3 billion bushels. So um, it's one of those that we need weather problems to move higher, and certainly we're at the uh, doorstep of some uh, issues in South America that could develop into something. But if the weather pattern changes, Jesse, is going to be the opposite. So dicing this going forward.
1: Let's talk livestock a little bit here before we uh, run out of time in this segment. Don, more pressure in cattle and hogs uh, here on Wednesday. Uh, Concerns, uh, especially, I think, about this cattle market, just been in a downtrend here the last couple of sessions. What's your thoughts in this protein sector overall right now?
0: Well, I think when you look at the protein sector, of course, you know, the it's well documented. I think the trade has just uh, been bullish, caught bullish on this uh, cattle market, funds sitting, you know, record longs going into this downturn. And, um you know, like we say, it's a, ultimately there's two sides of the story. There's the demand side and the supply side. And, you know, we looked at the supply side for so long, tightening, tightening. And then we get the cattle on feed report that pushed that bull story back numbers over a year ago all the way to the end of March. That was just enough to tip the scales down. And then there's the demand side of the market, which is uh, getting shakier as we go with, uh, you know, all the uh, issues with the economy popping up. So bottom line, like we say in the beef business, you know, nothing's enough if nobody wants it. Uh, The hog market. Switching gears over there, under some big pressure here today, uh, hogs are kind of more of the same, too big a supply short term. It's, uh, the hog industry are in that liquidation. You would think at some point in time next year, maybe the middle of next year, that we start to see those lower supplies from the liquidation pop up, give support to the hogs. But for now, least resistance is down in the meat market. Uh, of course, we'll get oversold and get some bounces here and see where the value is, Jesse.
1: Well, we do appreciate the time and the analysis here today. Don Rose, U.S. Commodities in Des Moines, Iowa. Don, thanks for joining us on Agriculture of America. We really appreciate it. We will look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks so much.
0: You bet, Jesse. Have a great day.
1: Again, Don Rose there with U.S. Commodities joining us here today on Agriculture of America. Appreciate the thoughts and the market analysis. Continuing to watch the gray markets rally. Well, we see pressure in the protein sector. Going to be uh, something to keep an eye on, especially uh, heading into wasdi Report Day on Thursday. All right, coming up next, we are going to have a conversation about the pork market a little bit more on the global scale. Christine McCracken with RoboBank. She joins us next here on AOA, brought to you by Senex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oil, oil that runs smart. Back with more right after this. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than TerraMax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to TerraMax. Then visit TerraMaxAg.com to learn more. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter-specific peer groups, full-service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future.
2: The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Egg Network.
3: Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six.
0: information america's farmers and ranchers need aoa now back to jesse allen
1: and welcome back to aoa brought to you by cenex premium diesel a diesel that doesn't mess around right now on the program we want to talk about the latest global pork quarterly and what is going on in the overall pork industry Joining us, Senior Analyst of Animal Protein with RoboBank, Christine McCracken. Christine, it's great to have you back on the program. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us.
4: Yeah, Good to be back. Thanks.
1: Well, let's go through the uh, Global Pork Quarterly and uh, look at some of the main global issues that are out there for this year. Uh, What's the biggest takeaway, biggest top-of-mind thing Uh, that you found with the recent report here. Let's just start there. What's the biggest thing or the biggest sort of headline that you're kind of seeing drive everything right now?
4: Well, I I think we're a little long supply. You know, it's not just here, it's in China. um, And that's that is mucking things up a bit, you know, as as we look at prices. But you know, I'm I'm confident that we can work through that supply. The demand side's been maybe a little better than we expected. So it is, it does seem to be somewhat of a temporary scenario, but probably a little worse than than we'd expected coming into the fourth quarter and into 2024.
1: Well, and thinking about, you know, maybe a lot of supply, a little bit of weaker consumption out there overall, Uh, it seems like North America, especially here, herd contraction remains fairly slow across the North American continent, Christine.
4: Yeah. And, and, you know, we have we have been uh, eating into that oversupply that the challenge has been that it's a it's a very slow process and we're coming off a, a couple of really good years. So so balance sheets are maybe a little better than than uh, than we expected. Um, so, so there's not maybe as much, much of a urgency. In, in reducing the size of the herd, and 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 so we're just left with a little overhang on supply. Um, I, I think as we look out though at, at losses into the middle of next year, you sure have to be considering, uh, you know, how we get this thing back in balance, and and. And to offset the very high costs that we're seeing, especially here in the U.S., so I, I suspect we'll we'll get a little more aggressive as we head into 2024. But it's it's really tough sledding here in the short run.
1: What about feed prices? I know we did see corn and beans uh, prices move lower in quarter three after a, a pretty good North American harvest. Uh, what's your thought though on? on the feed side of this market as we're working through quarter four and into next year, Christine?
4: Yeah, I'm optimistic. I mean, we did get a a little rebuilding of stocks here in the U S you know, short run, we're, we're, we've had a little bit of pressure on meal, but, but I'd suspect that, that as we work into uh, first quarter next year, that that'll come back down. I, you know, I, I think prices were so high on on feed that that there's almost nowhere to go but down. Uh, <laughs> I'd hope. Um, but you know there's sure a lot of uncertainty in the in the South American crop uh, with some of this El Nino effect and 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 some of the dry conditions there. so we'll we'll wait and see. I'm hopeful that at least on the on the grain and meal side we'll we'll get some cost relief. but other prices are still high, you know, we've got really high rates and obviously, uh, labor costs are still expensive where you have to bring, you know, hard labor on. So it, it's a challenging outlook, I think, for the overall industry.
1: What about China? We we hear a lot about China rebuilding their herd after cases of African swine fever. There are some reports of new cases of ASF that we've seen here in recent months uh, in Europe as well, and even some rumors of new cases in China How is China's pork market looking? What did you guys find with the latest global pork quarterly for China?
4: Well, our our team in China, you know, continues to, to watch what's happening there when you think about African swine fever and the potential impacts. The reality, though, in the short run is that they have a lot of pork. Um, and, and they're seeing, you know, the same kind of margin pressure that we are here in the U.S. Uh, that's obviously bad for U.S. exports, but it's really bad for, for the the industry overall. I think it's going through a bit of a, a transition, if you think through kind of that ASF and how it impacted the smaller producers, especially some of that rebuilding effort, especially by larger producers. Um, I think it's a bit of a, an adjustment period as as they kind of move to some of these maybe larger more productive systems um that and that's going to put some pressure on those smaller producers to to probably exit it's a little harder uh you know they don't have the same kind of information systems and transparency that we do here in in north america so it's it's hard for them to know exactly how much to produce but i tell you today uh boy it's it's really tough outlook for them and so so i don't suspect that that um that we're, we're going to sell a lot of pork to China anytime soon.
1: Well, I know we are selling quite a bit of pork to countries such as Mexico and some other of our main trading partners in Central America. It seems like US pork demand abroad is remaining fairly good here this year, despite, uh, you know, we look at the other markets uh, that I mentioned, like Mexico, et cetera, it still seems like that demand for U.S. pork is is remaining pretty good in other countries. Christine,
4: it is, and and you know that's been the bright spot of of the industry all year. Um, if you think through um, just just how much um, you know we have available, I think, and we're we're still mm-hmm. a, a very cost effective option for, for export or for importing countries, if you think about how high prices are in, in Europe, for example, because they've cut into their hog herds so so sharply. But, I, you know, Mexico has been a real shining star for us, um, obviously a really important trade partner for the U.S., and I think that'll continue. I, I'm optimistic given, you know, the, the recent weakness in the dollar that, in fact, you know, things could maybe even strengthen a little bit more on top of a, a really, really fantastic year so um, we'll wait and see again china isn't a a great option but we've got some other markets that can really fill that gap and i'm i'm pretty optimistic that we'll have a good year again in 24.
1: well and you mentioned that dollar and i know a lot of the the macroeconomic conditions that we are watching in terms of the u.s dollar and other markets around the world and inflation here at home etc uh, and just some of that retail demand and more there's a lot of things on the macroeconomic side that I think need to we need to pay attention to pretty closely here working through this fourth quarter and into next year Christine
4: Yeah it's it's a really complex outlook obviously there's a a lot of pressure on US consumers when you think through you know the rising costs of or the impact of rising rates on, on mortgages and, and even car loans. And, you know, you see a lot of, um, a lot of, of those purchases, especially going into the holiday season, going onto the credit cards. So I, you know, I think that that does, um, maybe make us a little cautious on, on that early, uh, 20, 2024 outlook, especially with so much pork coming at us. Um, but it's still a really affordable protein. And I think it, it does, um, it is a, a really important part of our, our diet to, to have, um, you know, a protein uh, and, and give us the energy to, I guess, keep working all those hours to pay off those credit cards. <laughs> it is, uh, it's, <laughs> challenge i think that that we're all going to have to work through and that's not just here in the US that's that's our, around the world when we look at it's a lot of the uncertainty that's that's out there.
1: Christine uh, before we let you go as well i know uh, of course we have proposition 12 in California question 3 in Massachusetts plenty of regulatory challenges when you uh, put together the global port quarterly here for quarter 4 Did you look at any of those things, or are you going to be watching those impacts as we move into 2024?
4: Yeah, I mean, we're getting some of that impact now. You see the price of pork on the shelf in California, obviously significantly higher right now. Um, There's a lot that we don't know about how this will um, play out in in the coming months as as they actually enforce um, Proposition 12 in California. You know, they gave them kind of a a a six-month window here where they can transition uh we have quite a bit in inventory and that that'll need to move if if it isn't compliant so so you know i think this is a rough period maybe in terms of of transition but you know i'm optimistic that that we can clear that inventory overall inventories are relatively low um, and that that should be able to get cleaned up pretty quickly. But you know it does raise some questions about how you offset the higher cost of of that compliant product in California in Massachusetts um, and and how uh, all of those packers will will work through that regulatory kind of uh, complexity as as we head into the next year. But today, um, you know, I'd say that, that we've been given a little buffer um and and there's probably not a huge impact but it it sure will uh be something we're gonna watch here as we head into the new year
1: well we appreciate the time senior analyst animal protein with Robobank, christine mccracken thanks for joining us here today on the show we appreciate the time we'll talk to you again soon
4: great to be with you
1: All right. Coming up next here on AOA, we are going to recap the latest ag economy barometer. Has farmer sentiment risen over the last month or not? We're going to answer that question more with Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue University. He joins us coming up after the break here on AOA Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Back with more right after this. On the November episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discussed the importance of export markets, MAP and FMD funding and more with Janice Hiley, who serves on NCGA's Market Development Action Team and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, along with NCGA Trade Policy Director, Nancy Martinez.
4: Think about this, funding for these two programs has not been increased in almost 20 years. And you might say, well, what do these programs do, Janice? It's all about those relationships we have with countries that we export to. The support comes from these type of programs. In 2020, the economic output produced by ag exports was over 300 billion. And as Janice was saying how crucial MAP and SMC are, they actually are very effective federal investment programs. So the return on investment is over 24 to one.
1: Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind, a partnership with the National Corn Growers Association on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss.
2: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The green and oil seeds are all higher this morning, save for bean oil. Soybeans boost of overnight trading continues today with Brazilian production concerns. Also, giving it some more support as China stepped up its purchase of U.S. soybeans yesterday, showing signs of chasing this market higher on fears that dry weather in Brazil might curtail the production enough to take prices significantly higher. Now, the risk for China is twofold. First, it is concerned about delays in planting that can lead to delays in new crop supplies being available, requiring it to take more soybeans from the United States over the next several months to fill that gap. Now, that will further tighten an already tight U.S. balance sheet that may get even tighter tomorrow if USDA makes another cut to this year's yields. The second risk is that the developing heat and drought in the center-west portion of Brazil would notably reduce the size of the crop that could lead Brazil to run out of supplies before the U.S. 2024 harvest. Wheat markets are also sharply higher this morning on a long overdue and surprising show of strength. Paris million wheat futures are also higher for the fifth time in the past six days, but are hovering just slightly above the lows. Overnight, there were reports that Algeria bought over 600,000 metric tons of million wheat. And even as some French wheat is included, it is thought that close to 420,000 metric tons of the purchase is likely to be of Russian origin. Russian news agencies are reporting that Russia has already harvested 147 million metric tons of grain this year, while Ukraine grain exports for October were reported to be up 15% compared to September. Corn markets are also considerably higher this morning, also on concerns from Brazil's Safrina corn planting being pushed further out. U.S. corn futures still sitting just above the recent low has become much more competitive, with sales now running 26% higher than a year ago as Mexico has capitalized on cheap prices. Crude oil prices are about 1% lower this morning after falling to their lowest level since late July on global demand concerns. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag
5: Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids right here in our own backyard are facing hunger every day? Without healthy food, it's harder to grow, to thrive, to feel their best.
4: The impact when children don't have enough to eat is tremendous because when you're hungry and your basic needs aren't being met, You cannot learn.
5: Every child deserves to be fed. This is a problem we know how to solve. Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love.
6: Breakfast in the classroom contributes to kids being more focused, which leads to higher grades and simply just their well-being. Thank you!
5: Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at HelpNoKidHungry.org. Informing
7: America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen.
1: And welcome back to Agriculture of America, AOA. Thanks for joining us here today on the program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel a diesel that doesn't mess around. Find your nearest location right around the corner or online at cenex.com. All right, the latest Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer results are in, and we are going to go through those and talk about it right now. Joining us, Dr. James Mintert, professor of agricultural economics and director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University. Jim, thanks so much for joining us once again on AOA this month. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's dive into these numbers. And, you know, uh, in full uh, disclosure, Jim, I was thinking that we were going to see farmer sentiment uh, maybe go down again in October. But instead, the overall number went up four points. So what's going on? What did you guys find here this month?
8: Yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. So the index was up four points. That's a pretty small change. So I don't want to get too excited about that. But it is eight points higher than a year ago. A little longer term, though. If you compare it to a couple of years ago, we're down compared to that. And, of course, if you go back three years, which is when the barometer was at its all-time peak, it's down substantially. So to put that in perspective, three years ago, this index was at 183. This year, it's at 110. So um, we're still in in a little bit of the doldrums. And I guess for just a little bit of history here, the baseline for the index, when it would be a hundred, was established in the fourth quarter of 2015, the first quarter of 2016. And so, for your listeners that maybe thinking back to what that means, that that was a time frame when agriculture, production agriculture, was heading into a downturn. So. We're slightly above that, but that is telling you that things are not uh, all rosy out there and and maybe not uh, as positive as people would like. But Mm -hmm. if you look more closely at what the change was this time around, uh, both the current condition index and future expectation index were up. The future expectation was up slightly more than the current condition. And again, if you compare it to a year ago, it was 12 points higher. So people were a little more optimistic about the future here in October of this year than they were a year ago And if you actually look a little further into the details, um, probably the biggest driver was people felt better about their farm's financial performance here in 23 than they did earlier. Uh, The Farm Financial Performance Index was up six points compared to not only a month ago, but also a year ago. And I think that probably tells the tale as much as anything. And so, you know, you're probably scratching your head a little bit trying to figure out, well, why did people feel better about that? And and I guess that's an open question, but I suspect... Mm -hmm at least for corn and soybean producers, part of that was probably tied back to the fact that yields this fall, especially here uh, in in the Eastern Corn Belt, we continue to hear better than expectations, uh, in some cases better than, than historical yields. And I think that that probably filtered back into this farm financial performance perspective, and that in turn influenced where we wound up with for the overall barometer.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point. I've heard the same. I've heard some of that, too, from the Western Corn Belt, Uh, better in the East, but still some of that in the West, too, with better yields for quarter beans. And then, you know, if there's more uh, more bushels out there to sell, I I think that's a, a good point you bring up. I know it's like you said, an open question, but it just feels like some of this harvest optimism what it looks like, it sounds like to me, is that has kind of crept its way into farmer sentiment here as we head towards the uh, holiday season, Jim.
8: Yeah, I, I think that's probably the case. And we'll get some further information on this Thursday when USDA releases its updated crop production report. And we'll have more information on what the yields are, what USDA thinks yields are, um, and maybe get some confirmation here. But But even if those yields come in as expected, and I think the current expectation is for yields to be essentially about where they were in the previous report. But even if that's the case, I think from our surveys perspective, the issue for producers is one of maybe a sense of relief because of the weather conditions this summer were so unusual. There was a lot of concern about the dry weather impact on yields. And by the time we did our survey here in October, those combines were, uh, starting to tell the tale, and the yield monitors were were confirming what was going on, and I, I think just from a sentiment standpoint, that made people feel better. At least that's that's kind of our thinking here. Because if you look at it otherwise, from a, more of a broader perspective on the economics, you know, farm income in 2023, based on USDA's information, is going to be significantly lower than it was in 2022. From a long-term perspective, it's still a pretty good number, but still lower than a year ago so but i might th- think of this is more about uh, feeling uh, good about what took place uh, this fall
1: now i did see in the latest uh, barometer that the farm capital investment index uh, that number did fall a little bit in october so even though there's a little more optimism out there doesn't necessarily sound like folks are are turning around and and spending some of that money that may be coming into their farm operation. Sounds like they're maybe holding on to it a little bit more.
8: Yeah, the investment index is always a little bit uh, of a puzzle. I mean, we have a large percentage of our respondents every month that tell us it's not a good time to make big investments. I think this month it was right around 75% of the people in the survey said it's not a good time to make large investments. And that gave us a a reduction again in that uh, Farm Capital Investment Index. We follow up and ask a couple of questions to folks who tell us it's a bad time and a good time to make investments. And the folks that say it's a bad time for quite some time have been pointing mostly to the increase in prices that took place for farm machinery and new construction. And that's still a significant negative factor for them. But one of the changes we've observed as we've moved through the course of 2023 is more and more people are telling us it's partly because of the rise in interest rates that's taken place. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of the year, I think of the folks who say it's a bad time to make an investment, uh, 25% of them said it was because of rising interest rates. On this most recent survey, that's up to 41%. And we actually have more people pointing to rising interest rates as a reason why it's a bad time than we have people saying it's about prices, high prices for farm machinery and new construction. The related question on that is, Recently, we started asking people who say it's a good time to make investments, why? We only started that recently because each month it's a small number of people that say it's a good time. Um, so we weren't real confident of the results with respect to the small sample size. But now that we've asked it four times in a row, we have got a little more confidence. And the first couple of times we asked it, 40% of the people said it was because of strong cash flows. Mm-hmm. These last couple of months, that's been coming down. Uh, In September, that came down to 32%. And in October, that came down to 24%. That suggests that that working capital that we had built up is maybe starting to tighten a little bit and maybe uh, people a little less inclined to make some of those big investments. We'll see how that plays out for things like farm machinery demand here over the next few months and, and carrying into 2024.
1: Well, I know, too, Jim, looking ahead through the report, you guys also ask looking ahead to next year. What's your biggest concerns for your farming operations? So I think this question ties in as well with the Farm Capital Investment Index and higher input costs. That seems to be the general theme that I hear quite a bit from folks in farm country. That is uh, one of the biggest concerns, and it looks like that was uh, the biggest concern this month on the report.
8: Yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, It's very consistent. We get that as the number one response when we ask people what their biggest concerns are for the upcoming year. Uh, The number two response, though, and this has changed over time that we've been asking this question, is rising interest rates. So this month, 36% of the people chose higher input cost as their top concern. 25% chose rising interest rates. And number three is lower crop and livestock prices. And this month twice as many people chose higher input cost as chose lower crop and livestock prices as a biggest concern and you know if we don't have data that goes back 30 or 40 years but I, i'm inclined to think if we had a very long term data set here i think that's upside down i think from a longer term perspective it would be much more typical to see people choose lower crop and livestock prices as their top concern and higher input costs would be pretty far down uh, the ranking but I think this is just a sign of, of how topsy turvings have been these last couple of years. The volatility in input prices has been almost unprecedented. And so that's given rise to some anxiety, I think, among producers. And even though those input prices have softened over the last year, and fertilizer is the case in point, those fertilizer values have come down substantially over the last 12 months, they're still at elevated levels if you compare it to more of a longer-term his- historical perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that's created a lot of unease among producers and it's it's still lingering out there.
1: I I love this as well. You guys always have a, a varying question at the end of the barometer each month. And you mentioned weather earlier and this month's question ties into any long term changes folks have made on their operation with weather patterns in their area. What did you guys find with that question?
8: Yeah, so this was stimulated by the fact that we had so much dry weather, and it was kind of an unusual situation with so much dry weather early, led to a lot of conversations. So we decided to ask producers, have you made some significant changes in your operation in response to your perception of of long-term weather changes? This only went to corn and soybean producers, because we kind of wanted to narrow it down and and get some uh, idea with respect to what kind of changes they're making. But one out of four corn and soybean producers, 24%, said they have made some changes in response to long-term weather changes. And so when then we followed up with that group and said, well, tell us about the kind of changes you've made. Number one choice was adopting or increasing the use of no-till. That was chosen by one out of four. Um, Changing mix of crops planted was chosen, I think, by 23%. Roughly one out of five said they were planting more drought-resistant varieties. And then maybe a little bit of a surprise to to me, uh, I expected a few more people to focus on managing water in the form of tile drainage or installing irrigation. And we did get some folks that, that said they were making those kind of changes, but maybe not quite as many as I thought in advance. I think 9% said they were installing tile drainage and another 9% said that they installed irrigation. And those responses aren't mutually exclusive. So some folks are doing more than one thing because they could choose more than one one of these items. But very interesting in terms of, I I think overall, the fact that one out of four producers are actually making some changes because of changing weather patterns. I think that's pretty significant.
1: We do appreciate the time. Dr. Jim Mintert with Purdue University. Thanks for joining us this month.
8: All right, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: Back with more AOA brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel.
9: On the way, right after this. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments, and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory.
8: Don't give up. Don't ever give up.
9: In Iraq, our
4: truck hit a roadside bomb. I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm.
9: And my electrical was deemed unsafe and I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I didn't really know where to go
4: in order to get help, and so I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. They've really been a blessing. Operation Homefront is the safety net. A lot of veterans, they fall through the cracks sometimes and Operation Homefront, they catch us. It's been a blessing to us. It's a blessing to other veteran families and it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us and want to see us do well and want to see us succeed and we feel it and we appreciate that. I would say you guys are angels behind closed doors.
2: Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more.
1: Are you curious about biologicals for stronger crop health? You're not alone. At TerraMax, they've seen more farmers just like you choosing to apply biologicals with increasing success. For more than 25 years, they've been harnessing the power of microbial inoculants to strengthen roots, improve soil health, and boost yields acre after acre. If you're ready to get a biological boost, turn to the experts at TerraMax. Visit TerraMaxAg.com to learn more about what microbial technology can do for your farm. On the November episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the importance of export markets, MAP and FMD funding, and more with Janice Hiley, who serves on NCGA's Market Development Action Team and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, along with NCGA Trade Policy Director Nancy Martinez.
4: Think about this. Funding for these two programs has not been increased in almost 20 years. And you might say, well, what do these programs do, Janice? It's all about those relationships we have with countries that we export to. The support comes from these type of programs. In 2020, the economic output produced by ag exports was over 300 billion. And as Janice was saying how crucial MAP and SMC are, they actually are very effective federal investment programs. So the return on investment is over 24 to one.
1: Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind, a partnership with the National Corn Growers Association on AOA.
7: It's a show you don't want to miss. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not.
0: informing america's farmers and ranchers aoa now back to jesse allen
1: and thanks for sticking with us here today on aoa agriculture of america jesse allen back with you here today's program brought to you again by our friends at cenex and their premium diesel lineup including cenex roadmaster xl and Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster for those off-road applications. Everyday products powered locally by Senex. Find your nearest location right around the corner, or you can find them easily online. Just go to Senex.com. Great conversation there in the last segment with Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue University looking at that ag economy barometer for the month of October, and again, Farmers sentiment rising a little bit, up to 110, up four points in October. But as uh, Dr. Mintert explained, uh, you got to look at the broader picture. We're still down from the uh, all-time highs here in the barometer. And then as well, even though there's a little bit of an improvement in current conditions and future expectations, still some things uh, that are a little bit uneasy on farmers' minds, including higher interest rates, higher input costs, etc. And that last bit we were talking about, uh, nearly one in four farmers responding to the survey reported making changes in their farm operation in response to long-term weather pattern changes. I thought that was fascinating and could be an indication of what is to come here. As so we've seen the weather pattern shift here over the last couple of years, and some things need to be done a little bit differently on the farm uh, changes implemented by farmers uh, wide ranging, but some report are making multiple changes in response to the shifting weather patterns. So, very interesting stuff, and uh, really curious to see uh, the uh, next round of the barometer and. Uh, some of the new questions that they ask so again thanks to dr jim mintert from purdue university for joining us here today let's take a look at a few news headlines before we wrap it up on the show four states this week joined the department of justice's civil antitrust lawsuit against agristats now the suit alleges that agristats organized and managed anti-competitive information exchanges among broiler chicken pork and turkey processors now the attorneys general of Minnesota. California, North Carolina, and Tennessee joined the effort on Monday. The Justice Department filed the lawsuit in September of this year alleging that Agristats violated Section 1 of the Sherman Act. The complaint alleges that Agristats' scheme continues to this day in the chicken processing industry, among others, while Agristats paused its turkey and pork reporting after facing several private antitrust lawsuits. Agristats has expressed an intent to resume such reports following the lawsuits. Now, a statement at the time of filing by Agristats says, quote, the lawsuit threatens serious harm to American consumers of chicken, pork, and turkey because protein producers depend upon Agristats reports to help them identify opportunities to reduce production costs to keep prices low. Well, USDA's latest report on foreign-owned farmland in the United States shows foreign investors own less than 2%. Of all land in the country. Danny Munch, American Farm Bureau Federation economist, says foreign owners of farmland are required to report their investments by the Agricultural Foreign Investment Disclosure Act.
6: USDA publishes the results from those reports from the two years prior. So the most recent data we have is 2021 data. In 2021, 40 million acres or 3.1% of all privately held agricultural land was owned by foreign investors.
1: Munch says Canadian investors own the largest portion of foreign-held U.S. farmland.
6: With almost a third of that, or 0.97% of all U.S. ag land, following Canada, investors from the Netherlands own 0.37% of U.S. ag land, Italy 0.21%, the United Kingdom 0.19, and Germany 0.17. Those five countries make up over half of all U.S. ag land owned by foreign investors.
1: Now, while a lot of attention regarding foreign-owned farmland is focused on China, the country ranks 18th with 0.03% of foreign investor-held land.
6: A way to look at this is about the size of a single average-sized county in Ohio. Almost half of all foreign-owned ag land in the United States is timberland. In states like Maine, Michigan, Alabama, and Louisiana, over 85% of their foreign-owned ag land is all forest land. And when we look at the types of companies, the leading investors are timber and paper companies and renewable energy companies investing in land for solar and wind projects.
1: And you can learn more on the Market Intel page by going to fb.org. While retail fertilizer prices continue to be mostly higher according to prices tracked by DTN for the last week of October, six of the eight major fertilizers were higher compared to last month as DTN designates a significant move as anything more than 5% or higher. The only fertilizer with a considerably higher move was once again anhydrous, which was 5% higher compared to last month. The nitrogen fertilizer had an average price of $826 per tonne. Now, five other fertilizers were just slightly higher looking back a month. DAP had an average price of $713 a ton. MAP at $801 a ton. 10340 at $611 a ton. UAN 28 at $358 a ton. And UAN 32 at $415 a ton. Now, MAP was back above the $800 a ton level for the first time since the third week of July. The price 15 weeks ago was $812 a ton. Now, two fertilizers were just slightly lower in price. Compared to last month, Potash ash had an average price of $508 a ton, while urea was at $573 a ton. Now, on a price per pound of nitrogen basis, the average urea price was $0.62 cents a pound, anhydrous $0.50 cents a pound, UAN-28 at $0.64 cents a pound, and UAN-32 at $0.65 cents a pound. Man, we talked earlier this week about fertilizer prices with Josh Linville from Stone X. And as he mentioned as well, plenty of global factors out there that we got to keep our eyes on. We have logistical challenges here. The U.S. river levels are coming back up but still are at the uh, lower end. So a lot of things to consider and a lot of things to take a look at. Definitely uh, probably want to have a conversation with your fertilizer retailer in your area. Just make sure you have a plan in place for any of your remaining fall application here or thinking about next spring as well and uh, taking a look at things uh, a little more closely here especially as you wrap up harvest season. So something to think about there as we continue to watch fertilizer price trends continuing to trend a bit higher as of the end of October. All right, well, we are about out of time here on AOA Today. Coming up on tomorrow's program we'll talk markets with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. We'll also catch up with Jeff Cooper from the Renewable Fuels Association. And we'll have a conversation with Ernie Goss, economist at Creighton University, about the overall health of the Midwest economy and the Midwest ag economy as well. All that and more coming up here on tomorrow's AOA. Brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron, synthetic diesel engine oil oil that runs smart. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter-specific peer groups, full-service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit uncommonfarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
9: I'm Shanola Hampton. Every day, millions of people face hunger. Today, I will share with you some of their experiences. I'm stuck between paying for medications or paying for food. John from Maine. After paying my bills, I can buy groceries. It's sad to say, food comes last. Alice from Oregon. I thought pantries were for less fortunate people but anybody could be less fortunate in a day or even a second. Claire from Virginia. The Feeding America network of food banks helps provide over 6 billion meals to people in need each year. No one should have to worry where their next meal will come from. Together, we can end hunger. Learn more at feedingamerica.org.